0: Well, good morning. Uh, make your way to the book of Malachi. I don't know how far we'll get. I don't really even want to start with an overview, and then if time, we'll begin to, to look at verses 1 through 5. Malachi is a book you don't hear much preached out of. You don't see much of it. I know as long as I've been saved, I've never heard a preacher preach out of the book of Malachi. Uh, I don't know, maybe you or your family has heard, but Malachi is the very last book of the New Te- of the Old Testament. And it's sad that many people avoid uh, the book of Malachi like they avoid the book of Revelation. Uh, they avoid it either because it's too hard for them to read it, or they just don't have an understanding and don't believe it applies to the church in this day and age. But 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So that means if, if all Scripture is given, then it's very needful that we get back to looking at Malachi. Uh, Malachi as as we'll go through here in this overview, we're going to find that it's important to remember that Israel in the Old Testament is committing the same sins the church and you and I as Christians are committing every day. And that's what Malachi does. He begins to deal with their sins. Uh, The central theme of the book of Malachi is a book of appeal. You find that Uh, Though Malachi rebukes the priest and the people, he constantly appeals to them to repent. He constantly appeals to them to turn back unto God, to return back to Him, to turn away from their sins, to turn away from the things that have so gripped them and turn back to God and look unto Him. Uh, We see that here in the book of Malachi, the priest and the people, uh, they they don't want to repent. They found themselves to be perfectly comfortable where they are. And sadly to say that most Christians are comfortable where they're at in their religion. They, they find that, well, nobody can see the little things that I'm doing under the scene. I come here, I put on a good show, I know how to act, I know how to behave, and yet nobody can see what's really going on. I'm here to tell you that God sees every little thing. Uh, but Malachi gives them two things. He says he gives them a promise. He says, if you'll turn back unto God, if you'll repent, you'll return. God will do what he promised to do to secure your lands, to make you fruitful, to give you over and above everything that, he, that you need. But yet, he says, if you refuse not, he said there are consequences to that. He said there are consequences to the rejecting of God. The key verse to Malachi is chapter 1, verse 2. He says, I have loved you. That is God's plea to His people. I have loved you. I have loved you. And, that's, and they begin to ask the, the question, wherein hast thou loved us? I believe that's many Christians' thoughts today. Wherein have you loved me, God? God. Haven't you seen what I've had to go through? Haven't you known all that I've troubled with and I've I've been hurtful? Everything, God, and you tell me you keep loving me? How can you love me and allow the things to happen? Oh, it's Malachi is a book for the church today. It's for the Christian. Malachi is himself, the writer. He just shows up on the scene. How many other people in the Bible are like that? You only find two others that are like Malachi that just show up, that don't have a beginning, don't have an end, don't know nothing about their backstory, and that's Melchizedek, and that's Elijah. They just show up. They preach God, they preach, they offer, they do, and then they disappear. And that's what Malachi does. Malachi's name means uh, my messenger or the Lord's messenger. Malachi, the book of Malachi, breaks into two parts. Chapters 1 through chapters 3, verse 15, uh, deals with God's love spurned. The people had spurned the love of God. They found no need for it, really. Then it's chapters 3, verse 16 through chapter 4, verse 6, or to the end of the book, deals with the, the remembrance or an invitation and warning God's grace is still offered. So we find that the book divides out with first Malachi dealing with God's love being spurned, but yet God's still offering grace to those that he loves. And dearly beloved, God loves every man, every boy, every woman, every child, and yet he still is offering grace no matter how far we go. But within those two breakdowns, actually Malachi divides out into five major divisions uh malachi 1 chapters 1 uh, verse chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 deals with god's love for israel and uh, the rejected and spurned love of god chapters 1 uh, chapter 1 uh, verse 6 through chapter 2 verse 9 the sin of the priest malachi chapter 2 uh, verse 10 through chapter 3 verse 15 is the sin of the people Malachi chapter 3, verse 16 through chapter 4, verse 3 is the blessing to all who fear God, but also the punishment for the wicked. And then chapters 4, verses 4 through 6 is an invitation and a warning. So I said all that to say this, is that we know that Malachi is written after the Jews have returned out of exile after 70 years. You would think if God took you and placed you somewhere for 70 years because of your sin and didn't have no one, uh, you had no contact with nothing, but all you could do is remember what you have done and repent of it and turn that maybe your heart would get uh, get on board with God's plan. Sadly, it wasn't uh, the day in uh, Israel. Uh, they come back after 70 years. And really, you find that Ezra comes back first. And what does Ezra do? He begins to set up the temple. He has a heart for the temple of God. He begins to set it up, begins to work in it, begins to do in it. (coughs) Then Nehemiah comes back. Nehemiah has a burden over there in Babylon with King Artaxerxes. He looks at him. Could have been killed, but yet God shows grace unto Nehemiah. And Nehemiah comes back. And he builds the wall. In 52 days, the wall is built. Now, Miss Manda, you know how big Jerusalem is. You imagine 52 days building the wall all the way around Jerusalem. But it's done. He even sets up the gates. He gets everything back in order. He secures Jerusalem. And yet, Nehemiah and Ezra both command the people to do what? To serve God. Then they cry in Nehemiah, bring the book, bring it, let us read from it, let us learn of it. And the people said, we will do. And yet the people did not do. How many of us are like that to God? I will do this, God. And yet we don't do what we say, but yet God is still gracious to us. Now, if you remember... Brother Jay Pruitt's teaching on the seventy weeks of uh, of Daniel. We know that, uh, according to Sir Robert Anderson, he said if you take Daniel's seventy weeks prophecy, which declares that seventy weeks begins around the time when Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem, that we can deduct the the first seven weeks or the first forty nine years from when Nehemiah returns to come up with approximate time frame of around 396 B.C. is when Malachi really preaches, when Malachi shows up. So that's probably about the closest that we will actually ever know uh, when Malachi showed up. But we know that it's three around 396, around 400, somewhere right there. And so Malachi shows up. And the interesting thing is, is that if Malachi preached... When Nehemiah or Ezra was there, there would be no need for it. The people had a mind to do what God had. But what you find is that Nehemiah goes off the scene. Nehemiah chapter 13 verse 6 says that he, he took leave and he went back to the king. Now understand that if he went back to Artaxerxes, uh, he did that for one for one mindful reason. Are you going to allow someone else to give an account of the work that you're doing? Brother Chris, if you were in the military, when you were in the military and you had a job to do, did you rely on someone else to go tell your superior exactly what you were doing? Or did you report directly to them? That's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah reported directly to King Artaxerxes. It means he left Jerusalem. That means he took leave he, even though he's the governor, he's still left. And we figure that in that time frame, uh, some writers say it was a year, some say as much as, as 20 years that Nehemiah was gone. Now, I don't know exactly how far it is. We, I, I do. I Googled it. It's a 10-day journey from Jerusalem to Babylon. That's walking, 10 days. 10 days or 9 days and 22 hours, so about 10 days of walking. So we know he could probably make it in about 8 days. They are a lot fitter than we are. But that's when Malachi preaches. He preaches in that absence. And we all know that, uh, what's the old saying? When the cat's away, the mice will play when you don't have the one that's over you, governing you, or dictating you. It's like children. You expect children to do right in their home. You tell them to go to their room and tell them to go play while you're in the kitchen. Look, I mean, I did. I mean, I expect my kids to act halfway decent. And the sad part is, is that when I thought my kids were, as long as I heard noise, I knew everything was good. It's only when they get quiet that you know something's not right. And I walked in many a times. uh, For instance, Carson lit his bedroom carpet on fire when he was four years old. Yeah, that ain't something you want to walk into. But that's what the people here did. When Nehemiah left, they got quiet. They got complacent. They got still. They got used to just mulling over or just doing the same old routine and not having no convictions about it. Interesting is is that the book of Malachi here begins 400 years of God's silence. Now, I don't know any of y'all that read the Archivea or whatever the, the book in between Malachi and Matthew is that some Bibles have. They ain't real. They're all man-made. I, I understand man-made, but God-inspired. The other ones aren't. God is silent. He doesn't speak. He doesn't give a hint that He's even listening to Israel anymore. I wonder how many times God has done that to you and I because of our sin. Look, I'll be real with you. I think about a lot of things that God, as I read and I study, that God reveals, now, son, I've done that to you once or twice. You didn't repent of your sin. You didn't turn from your sin, Dustin. You you try to sweep it up under the rug thinking I can't see it, and yet you come to me in prayer and you're asking, but son, I ain't listening to you. Deal with your sin first. Then I'll hear you. Israel never dealt with their sin God went silent. He went completely silent. Malachi uh, brings about eight accusations or eight questions. Real quickly, chapters 1, verses 2, 6, and 7 are the first three questions or accusations. Well, let's read them. Chapter 1, verse 2. We hear, God, I have loved you, saith the Lord. And here's the, here's the question. Here's, the, here's the, the rhetorical question or the accusation. Where hast thou loved us? There's the rhetorical question one. They question God. They rhetorically ask Him this question, this accusation. Wherein hast thou loved us? Verse 6, it says, A son honoreth his father and a servant to his master. If I then be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, wherein or where is my fear, saith the Lord of host? Now, God poses a question to them. He says, if I'm your father and if I'm your master, then where is my honor? Where is my fear? If I'm these things to y'all, where is it to me? Verse 7, uh, God accuses them. He says, you have offered polluted bread upon my altar. But they asked the the, the rhetorical question, wherein have we polluted thee? And that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. Jump over to chapter 2, verse 14. And yet, here we go, we have another one. He says, yet ye say, wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and and the wife of thy youth, Against whom hast thou dealt treacherously? Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. So he asked him a question. He said, here's your wife. I'm the witness between you and them. Chapter 2, verse 17. We find here the Malachi declares, ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? Many words are very wearisome to God. Chapter three, verse seven, it says, "Even even from the days of of your fathers ye have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them." There's the question. There's the at the at the end of verse seven. Excuse me. But you said, wherein shall we return? They couldn't figure out where they needed to return to. Verse 8, will a man rob God? There's another question. In verse 13, the latter part of verse 13, it says, what have we spoken so much against thee? Eight questions, eight accusations, eight rhetorical statements brought up by God and Israel to one another. It would do good for us to ask some questions of ourselves where we are walking with God. But we find that in the book of Malachi, Malachi also prophesied uh, of three promises uh, that are of God. First, the first promise that we can find Is in Malachi chapter 1, verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 1, excuse me. He says, Behold, I will send my messenger. There's the the first promise. And that messenger being John the Baptist. We knew that John the Baptist would well here. We didn't know who he was. We didn't have a name. But we knew that God was going to send a messenger. And that was John the Baptist, Luke chapter 1, verses 17, and John 1 21. And we know that John the Baptist is the forerunner to the coming of Christ. But yet he came in the spirit of Elijah, and yet he himself was not Elijah. And we get Elijah from the third promise of chapter 3, I mean, chapter 4, verse 5 of Malachi. He says, Remember, or he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So you knew that the that Israel's looking for Elijah. That's what they're looking for. That's who they're looking for. They know that when Elijah shows up, the great and dreadful day of the Lord is coming, and that they are going to be restored. Sadly, they couldn't see that John the Baptist was like Elijah. He was the forerunner. He was the one that was coming. He came before Christ, to prepare the way so that the people could repent and return uh, back unto God. One thing that has struck me about Israel uh, in looking here is that Peter, James, and John, uh, remember in the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9, they saw who? Elijah and Moses. So they, had, they, they already knew that Elijah hadn't returned yet. They hadn't seen him yet. But yet Israel kept looking for Elijah. They wanted to see Elijah. So I dealt with the first promise, and the third promise is that God would send Elijah. But the second promise that Malachi really deals with, he deals with the, the first and second coming of Christ. Malachi chapter three, the latter part of verse one and verse two. <coughs> it says, uh, "Where to pick up at?" And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come," saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand? When he appeareth, for he is like the refiner's fire and the fooler's soap. The early beloved Christ came to his temple, and he came as a baby at eight years old. Then he went back to the temple at twelve years old and taught the priest, schooled them in their own in the own law of Moses, knew more about it than they did, and, and yet they marveled at him, and yet they couldn't see because they were blinded that Christ had. The Lord had returned to His temple. Sadly, is that they crucified our Lord. But thankfully, they did so that you and I could come. The sad part is, is that His next time He's coming, He's not coming in peace. He's not coming with grace and love under His wings. He's coming as a refiner's fire. He's coming as a fool or soap. And if you know anything about the refiner's fire, it is so hot that it burns off the impurities of anything that is pure. Gold burns at 1,855 degrees Fahrenheit. And the reason it burns so hot is because you have to add borax and other things into it to break down the impurities out of the gold so that you get pure gold. That's who he is. The fuller soap, the fuller soap is a mixture of uh, animal urine and other things, borax and ash from underneath the, the altar. And that soap is so pungent, so strong, it don't make no sense, Brother Chris, I'm telling you. But you use it on something white, and it makes it whiter. You use it on a garment, and it draws out all the impurities in that garment and makes it clean. That is who he is. Uh, Side note, the fuller was a job that most people didn't want because it was a stinky job. But they would take the clothes, and they would put them in water, and they'd put that fuller soap in there, and they would take the clothes, and they would beat them against a rock. They would grind on them. You remember how David said, uh, wash me? When over there in uh, Psalms 51, I think, he said, wash me, O Lord. It's the idea of the fuller pressing down, stomping on him, grinding on him, taking out the impurities out of his life, out of his mind, his heart, and making him a clean vessel. That is what the idea there in uh, Psalms is. But that's the same person who Christ is when he comes, is that he's coming to be that fuller soap. He's coming to wash away, to uh, purify His people. Hmm. There's the quick overview of Malachi. Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Let us begin. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I have loved you, or I have loved Jacob. And I hate Esau, and laid his mountain and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build up, but I will throw down. And they shall call and they shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, The Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. It's very clear that from the very beginning of this prophecy, or this this book in Malachi, that Malachi declares one thing that he is under a burden, and it is from God. His burden was not man-made. His burden was not self-centered, but his burden is of God. And this word burden, it means to be under a load or bearing, a tribute, burden, or lifting. And the burden that Malachi has declares that the Lord is deeply in love with His people Israel. But Israel is not in love with him. And sadly, I believe that's where the church is. God and Christ are in love with the church, but yet the church don't love God the way they should. They're so caught up with the, the rigmarole of this life Let us do this so that we can draw more people in. Let us do that so that we can bring more people in. Let us not say this so we don't offend people. Let us not do that so that they won't go away from us. Dearly beloved, the church is not to care what the world thinks. And I'll be blunt and plainly to say it. The church is to be so different that when we walk into the presence of the world that the world quivers and hides themselves from us. That is who we are. We are so different and we ought to be different in our thinking and our actions and our mindsets that when we walk into a place people look and say, you know what? He ain't like me or she's not like me or they they just weird. That's who you and I are as the church. But sadly, we're like Israel is that God is so in love with us, and yet we're so in love with everything else that the world is doing that we have turned our back to the one that loves us the most. Malachi's burden shows the very heart of God. It's because Israel had entered a state of rebellion and disbelief in the Lord that they questioned everything that Malachi is going to bring up to them. When the preacher stands up and he begins to preach and he begins to step on your toes and begins to magnify your sin in your life and you over there going, well, he's been reading my mail... No, it's the Holy Spirit telling you that you've got some things that you need to get right because if not, you're going to question God, how can you say this about me? That's the truth. Been there, done that. Got the notch on the belt to prove it. When you get to questioning God, you've entered such a state of rebellion that you can't see one foot in front of the other of what is going on in your life until God sits you down somewhere and he reveals all that's going on and you cry, oh me, how could I have let this happen? It's because you get your eyes off of him and you get your eyes on everything else. Jesus Christ declares in Matthew, uh, uh uh-oh, No, that's right. That, yeah, Matthew 23, 37, excuse me. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that hath killed the prophets and stonest them, uh, stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often I would have gathered thy children together. There it is. God told Israel, he said, look, he said, he said, if you'd have just come, he said, I'd gathered you back to me. He said, I'd begin to heal you. I'd begin to take the reprove away. He said, I'd gather thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under the, her wing, and ye would not. Why wouldn't they come back unto him? Pride. Selfishness. Y'all at the back door, come on in. What we see is that God has always wanted His people Israel, to return back to him back unto him, that He may sustain them and build them, and yet they would not come. Malachi's burden is a direct correlation to the Lord, His God that He loves, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel. Malachi's burden is one of love and rebuke and of hope. This burden was toward Israel and is always toward Israel. But the church can be seen in the in the book of Malachi. Uh, remember that when Malachi here he discusses Israel, all twelve tribes are present. Now you say, "Hey, now preacher, hold on, you say, didn't the northern half be taken away? Yes, then the rest of them go, yes." but God always has a small little remembrance or remnant of them not all of the 12 tribes are taken away a little group here and a little group there there's always 12 tribes of Israel still always present and i'm 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 just i'm I'm thinking as I'm here reading and I'm really not trying to preach to y'all. This is Sunday school. I don't want to preach to y'all. I love y'all. I don't want you mad at me. But I'm I'm constantly reminded that God has remnants of his people all over the place. But I want to know why are they so scared to stand up? Why are they so scared to make a difference in the area in which they live? I mean, that's. I mean, I'll be honest, it's easy to preach some days. I can give you, I can load a shotgun and fire off everything that's on my heart. But like y'all, I mean, I I get scared trying to talk to someone one-on-one. I don't know why. And I'm thinking, God, you call me to preach, that should be the easiest thing for me to do. Anyway, a little side note about the 12 tribes there we can see that malachi's burden has significant application to us in this day and age just as israel has become lax in their worship their work their waiting their service and their convictions uh, psalms 106 verses 13 and 14 says they soon forgot his works they waited not for his counsel but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted god in the desert how does that sound for you and i of this day and age we forget his works we don't wait on his counsel we don't ask god should i do this or should i not do this we go and do it and say well god hope you blessed this god because i've already i already done did it we lust after things that we we don't have no no need for we walk around in the wilderness of our of this world trying to figure out where the heck we've gone wrong And yet we tempt God because we don't submit and obey unto Him. But that that has been the nature of Israel since God has brought them out of Egypt. And it was the same in Malachi's day. And it is in the world that we currently are living because we have exhibited laxness and carelessness for God. The church has exhibited laxness and carelessness. We're lax because we don't stand on our convictions. And we're careless because we don't bother to tell anyone else. We are so much like Israel. if you would ask miss peggy and, and brother box what it was 50 and 60 years ago to walk into a church service and to hear the man of god preach compared to what they hear today you they would tell you that it's drastically different 50 60 years ago the men of god didn't care if they hurt your feelings they preached tail by the by the acre and they preached that god's judgment was real they preached that heaven was attainable and yet they preached that every man was a sinner born of sin consumed in sin it will always be in sin until he comes to christ and now we don't ever hear that we hear it's this or it's that preaching from 50 60 years ago would be considered taboo today It would be considered a perversion. It is not considered acceptable preaching. You ought not to hurt the people that you love. I find most often the people that I love are the ones that hurt me the most. But I'm thankful for it. I'm in Malachi, Miss Peggy, if you're looking. But that is the church. The church has become lazy. The church has become careless because we do not preach what we believe we don't stand where we say we stand i'm thankful that charity is not that way but there are many churches that are there are very very many churches that are like this but the same happened to israel malachi showed up on the scene he declared he said i've got a burden but the people didn't want to hear it Malachi first turns his aim of his burden, which is God's love for his people. He says, I've loved you. There is no doubt that God had displayed his love for his people, uh, the people of Israel, countless times. You find that he loved his people so much that he brought them Moses. Moses was to bring them out of Egypt. Yet they didn't want to follow Moses. They get in Joshua sends them into the promised land They're to take charge of everything. And they become lax. Then God sends them a judge. And they do have right with the judge. When the judge dies off, they slip right back off into sin. And then from the judges, he gives them the prophets. And they come in and they declare, and I love Amos. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Amos, but read the book of Amos. I like Amos. He reminds me of a bunch of y'all Mississippi folks going to the big city, that would be the most hilarious thing for me to watch, declaring the word of God in the most southern accent that he could possibly have. And they look at him and say, who are you? And he said, I'm just a man of God to tell you that you're in sin. And that God wants you to repent and turn. And And from the prophets, he even gives them a king. God bowed himself to give him a king. And we know that Saul messed up and David showed on the scenes. But yet, God has done all that he has. He has endlessly depl- displayed his affection for his people. And so he says, I have loved you. And the Hebrew, that means to have an affection for or a desire to breathe after. That means. In the past, and the present, and the future. He says, I've loved you no matter where you've been. Before you went to Egypt, I've loved you. While you were in Egypt and you are now in, in your country, I've loved you. And when you will turn your back on me and crucify me, I love you. That is what it means when God says, I have loved you. And God's love for Israel is based upon his promise and covenant with himself and not nothing that israel had done for israel is the apple of god's eye and i have seen that now that's this is why it takes me so long to write a sermon or study i get to look in a thing you take your go to a mirror or hold a mirror up and look in your eye and what you'll see back is someone looking right back at you in your eyeball That's what it means to be the affection of God's eye. That means that when he looks at you, he sees himself looking back. That's what it was. That is how much God uh, loves Israel. That is all that he's done. He he sees them. When he looks at himself, he sees himself. He sees the, the perfect side of himself. What could be in Israel? What should be in Israel? How they should walk and talk and act and do. For Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know my thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. That is all that God has ever wanted to do for Israel, to magnify His thoughts that He has for them, the things that He has desired for them. And yet they would not walk, and yet God hath loved them. God, God's burden for His people is for them to return unto, the first, unto their first love. Christ came to His own people in order to pull back the curtain that has been before the time of creation to show the heart of God, uh, how it beats for all those that are of His creation, despite the fact that the world is cruel and wicked, yet God, in and through His love, willing to save any who come unto Him. That is all that God has desired. And if you want me to quit, Brother Kevin, I will quit. He's looking at me. I knew I was in trouble then. Brother Chris, will you dismiss us?